When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Football Social Daily. Premier League Update. It's Tuesday and this is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your only daily podcast with a sole focus on the Premier League. On today's show, we'll discuss whether Manchester United new boy Odion Igalo could have the same impact Eric Cantona did all those years ago. And no, I haven't lost my proverbial marbles. That is what one former Manchester United player genuinely thinks could happen. Find out who in a little bit. We'll also take a look at little old Burnley. The unfashionable clarets always seem to find a way to stay in the Premier League. And although the job isn't done yet this season for Sean Dyche, should we be giving them more credit despite the so-called dinosaur tactics? Plus, if VAR wasn't a serious enough debate in the offices, boozers and terraces up and down the country as it is, it's about to get even more serious because if you hate VAR like I do, you've now got stats to back yourself up. A recent recent UK poll suggests that almost 70% of Premier League fans think VAR is making our beautiful game less enjoyable. We'll be crunching the numbers in a little bit. But slide tackling their way into the sports social studio today, like Sol Campbell on a wet evening at Wembley, <laughs> we've got Adam Brown. Hello, Adam. You all right, Niall? And we've got Jim Salveson too. Hello, Jim. Hello. But first of all, before we get stuck into the meat of the show... As we've got you in, Adam, I think it's only fair we give you as a Manchester City fan the right of reply. On yesterday's podcast, Jim, Marley and Steve stoked a debate about Pep Guardiola. So take a little listen to this. What Pep can't do is he just can't go out and say this year we've not been at our best. You know, we've lost six games so far. Fair play to Liverpool, Jürgen and all these players because they have been relentless. You know, give them a bit of credit for what they've achieved. Is Pep embarrassed? Because no one in the Premier League has had the conditions that he's had as a football manager. And if you look at it from the outside, I won't say Pep Guardiola's failed. Even if he doesn't win the Champions League, I don't think he's failed. I think he's met minimum expectations. I love what Pep Guardiola has done for football in this country. I think he's changed the way teams in the Premier League play. Yeah. But 
you kind of would have expected that with what has been put into him and the football club. I think so. I think it's a fair comment to make. They probably will look at it and go, we enjoyed it, but we've not quite hit what we wanted to hit. First and foremost, if he walked away this summer, I think his reputation would get even more tarnished because he's walked away from a genuine challenge in Liverpool. Like The one time anyone can stand up to him, he walks away. You can't do that. You've got to give it another, at least another season because you'll, you'll, get, you'll get hammered. So what do you think of that? I disagree with it completely. I think um, other than this season, I mean, all right, yeah, the Champions League has been elusive for City, but um, I'd argue that we have improved probably slowly in the Champions League uh, since since Guardiola's come in. I think we've actually got better season on season pretty much uh, in terms of performance levels as well. Uh, I don't think he's uh, even met expectations. Uh, yeah, um, but the expectations of City are massive and he's delivered. So we've won plenty of trophies under him. All right, this season's been the season where he's there's been the biggest gulf between him and the team above him. Um, is this season a one-off? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think he's going to come back next year and there's rumours that he's going to leave. I'd like to see him, like Miley said then, step up to the challenge maybe. Um, I, I just look, He's under a lot of pressure at the minute because it's not worked for him this season for whatever reason. And we know that he's probably slightly accountable in terms of his, his tactics which I'm sure we're going to talk about a bit more mm. um, you know you look at some of the stats behind it he's not fielded the same 11 since the start of the season I think 70 odd lineup changes which is yeah. the most of any manager and I'm looking here as well I've got a couple of stats that you know 30 more than the Jurgen Klopp's made at Liverpool and consistency is so key for, yeah. to, to do well so Part of it, I'm not going to blame it all on injuries. Uh, he should have probably recruited a bit better in the summer. I don't think you could even make a suggestion that he's underachieved. Or You seem to be making excuses for what he has achieved, though, Adam, which would suggest he has underachieved. What do you mean? Like you're saying, well, he's not done that well this season. He's made these changes. He's not maybe done what we expected in the Champions League. This if, season? If you look back, so when he came into the club three seasons ago, yeah. and you went, you've got Pep Guardiola, he's done this at Bayern Munich, he's done this at Barcelona, and you look at what he did with the youth teams at Barcelona mm. and the trophies he won elsewhere, he's going to be given 600 million quid, or whatever it is, it's around that figure to spend on players. What do you expect out of that? I'd say multiple uh, leagues, or if we, or if we, which he's done, which yeah. he's delivered. Yeah, um, Domestic dominance. Yeah, which I'd say... He's done. I'd argue he's done again. Do you know what the Champions is? League's the only thing that's, that's, yeah. that we've struggled for, really. It's the way that Pep's won the titles, I think. I think the titles were the minimum expectation. So if you look at it from the face value and you see Pep Guardiola's won X amount of Premier Leagues and X amount of FA Cups, you go, yeah, fair enough. That's yeah. that's probably what you would have expected him to achieve. But it's the way that Manchester City just dominated, got to the first team to get 100 points, yeah. looked unstoppable. I think that is kind of where Manchester City right, fans actually. are, are seeing their arse over as it, I said on that, expression. As I said on the show yesterday, he has changed football and his achievements have been massive. But I think what happens next for Guardiola is really important and I don't even think it's that much about the Champions League I think it's about what state Manchester City is in when he leaves because I think Guardiola was bought in with the idea that he would shape the future of Manchester City yeah. and whether he's done that or not I think is still up for debate at the and moment. I don't feel when you get a team that becomes dominant in, in a league like you know City have, pre, have been the best team in the Premier League since you know this the, the, the Liverpool resurgence of the past let's say two seasons when they've yeah. become really you know contenders yeah. um, obviously under Rodgers they had that kind of flirtation with nearly winning the league but I'm talking about the Jurgen Klopp of you know the, the, the solid squad that he's put together and this amazing mentality that he's got instilled into his team mm. before that City were, were the best team in the league you know by far I think in terms of the football we played in terms of 
what we achieved. But you look back at you know into the you know the late nineties, early two thousands when Man United were the dominant team, and they'd have a different challenger would come in. Now and again, Arsenal win the league one year, Chelsea win the league. Sometimes mm. it just be it'd be on, it'd be about recruitment, but no one would say, well, Ferguson, you know, he's not. Pre- yeah. I know it's it's just recruitment. Sometimes it comes down to that and. You know, Liverpool are going to be the team with the target on their head next season yeah. now. So and, how, how you react to it? No one's ever won the Premier League three times in a row. There's a reason for that. It's a very it, yeah. competitive competition. You know, but whether or not he stays, you know, I'd like to think that he's yeah. a strong character. That's what disappoints me a lot, is if for the first time he's seen a, a manager that arguably has got the better of him, on several occasions, I think, Klopp has kind of sussed out Guardiola's uh, tactics. I want him to fight back and stay and get the better of him. I yeah. think Pep Guardiola's future is really interesting from the article. I think it was published in The Athletic. I forget where I read it now that was published yesterday about what happened after the Tottenham game at the weekend. And apparently Pep Guardiola kept his team locked in the dressing room for anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour, depending on what article you read. And he asked the players for solutions to the problem. So he was kind of going to them and going, what do we do? How do we get out of this slump? And I think that's either a positive or negative, depending on what kind of spin you put in. Either he's out of ideas and he doesn't know what to do and he's fed up with the players questioning his tactics, which is the suggestion that they are not happy with this kind yep, of tinkering, tinkering tactics yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's different plots. Or he's recruited in such a way that he fundamentally trusts his players. He's bought players in that he believes has good footballing brains and he's not arrogant enough to think that he knows it all. He's got all the solutions. He's open to suggestions from other people. There's other a positive yeah, and, or a negative. But I know what you mean because you go, well, actually, if you, you know, is strong leadership going, this is the way you play no matter what? Or if you're a manager of a top team, do you have the humility almost to step back and go, well, yeah. what's going to make it work better? What and, do you, what, what are the problems? And well, he seems might, like that kind of character, yeah. doesn't he? That is willing to learn, is willing yeah. to adapt. But of course, you're always going to get some people going, hang on a minute, how much is getting paid? He shouldn't be asking them oh, how yeah, to do his yeah, job. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's a, like Jim said, it could be a positive or a negative. It's, it's fascinating to me, Pep's relationship with the British press. You think as well is that people now see, you know, obviously, what Klopp and his relationship with the press is—he seems such a happy-go-lucky, and you know, don't, you know, and people kind of love that about Jurgen Klopp, and they're kind of going, "Oh well, you know, he does give credit to the teams." Well, <laughs> if Liverpool are ever going to lose again, but you know, what I mean, we see it in the past when teams have played well, he's given credit, or if things haven't gone his mm. way, he seems quite relaxed. That's going to change, by the way. The more successful Liverpool get, the less happy we're going to see yeah. Jurgen Klopp being. So Guardiola's yeah. already there; he's had that, and he, you know, when he's got that the weight of him that coming down on him now. So we're seeing this. Bit more of a grumpy side to mm. to Guardiola now, where his relationship with the, with the press is getting increasingly strained. He but that's doesn't, he doesn't play the game in the same way, does it? And no. fo- football is very similar to politics in that way. Is that all journalists want is a quick soundbite? They want a seven second yeah. clip that they can yeah. put on the back page of the papers. There was a Pep great doesn't give that. Yeah, there was a great moment in press conference that Pep did recently where. One of the reporters went. So, do you admit now that the league's out of reach and Liverpool are going to win the league? And he yeah. just nodded. And the reporter goes, well, I can't quote you nodding. Can you, can you please say it outright? And then Pep just went on to say it. But I thought it was quite an interesting scenario there. Right, moving on from one side of Manchester to the other. Manchester United have been crying out for a striker for a while now. And with the injury to Marcus Rashford, their hunt for a goal scorer became even more crucial this January transfer window. So on transfer deadline day, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer moved to bring in Odeon Igalo, the former Watford striker to Old Trafford, on loan from the Chinese Super League. Although admitting it was an emergency signing Former Manchester United keeper Mark Bosnich has said of the situation, you never know. A long, long time ago, Manchester United signed a certain Frenchman who no one really expected much from and he ended up propelling them to one of their most successful seasons of all time. He's talking about Eric Cantona 
And although Odeon, yes. <laughs> and although Odeon's box office by name, will we be seeing nice. audacious, <laughs> oh, like audacious, audacious chips, kung fu kicks, and pop collars from Igalo Jim? I just can't see it personally. Firstly, how Manchester United is this signing? An emergency signing that can't get out of China because there aren't many flights coming out of China at the moment. That when he does get here, will be in two weeks quarantine because of the coronavirus. <laughs> so he can't play for a minimum of three weeks. Then he's got to catch up and play with the team and learn tactics and train and all that kind of thing. It's the most ridiculous emergency signing of all time. And he, uh, thankfully there's a Premier League winter break, but he didn't even have a medical. No, it he was all done by up. email. He just dropped <laughs> up. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it's a ridiculous signing. Could it work? Maybe. Is he the player that Manchester United wants? No. Is he comparable to Eric Cantona? Absolutely not. Eric Cantona joined Manchester United at a very different stage of his career when he was on the up. He'd just finished, just come off the back of a brilliant season at Leeds. Igalo has been in China for three years playing football. And I was racking my brains trying to think if there is a single footballer that has played football in China and come back into a significant league, so La Liga or Serie A or the Premier League, and played football and succeeded. And I can't think of a single one that's done that yet. Who's come back and been better, you mean? Well, yeah. just all or at just the same good. level. Sure. So three years in China is going to take a lot. Even um, uh, Chico Flores, who managed him in China and managed, managed him at Watford when he was in the Premier League, has said he reckons it's going to take him at least a month to get up to speed with the Premier League. It just seems like a weird scenario. But the flip side of that is proven goal scorer, yes. Are Manchester United in desperate need of a goal scorer? Yes. So on that level, it makes sense. And Tottenham are in for him yeah. as a replacement for Harry Kane. And Barcelona were in for him as well. So whatever you say about Ed Woodward's recruitment policy and the bonkers scenarios that go on there, you've got a credit. I mean, Barcelona know how to buy a player, know how to recruit a player. And well, if they were interested... Maybe that's a good thing. Barca a love a random striker signing. I remember yeah. they signed Kevin Prince Boateng a couple of seasons yeah. ago for, like, he played two games or something. Yeah. But although Mark Bosnich, I think, I said he's lost his marbles a little bit at the top of the show, I can see where he's coming from with the, you know, you never know how good he might be. And the yeah. comparisons to Cantona, I think, were probably a little bit sort of rush at the moment whilst he was on telly talking about I think you'd be it. in safer grounds comparing him to Ibrahimovic, maybe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I can Which see it like a, or like a Henrik Larsson when he came to United. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that sort of thing, maybe... You know, and I think United haven't really got that bad a record when it comes to the, you know, getting strikers in like that where not that much is expected of them because you're already winning straight away. If you're mm. a Gallo, you mm. think, well, people don't think I'm good enough to be here anyway. I've been in China. If you get a couple of goals, then it's almost, you know, achieving more than what people think. Whereas if you're yeah. 40, you know, 50, 60 million pound striker, you got with the ground running straight away, aren't you really? But I think it could have a bit of a, a Larson effect, even Michael Owen to an extent mm. when United got him, where you just think, well, actually... We know we can score goals. Let's throw him on for the last 20 minutes of the game. I think he'll score a couple of goals, me, personally. And, you know, there's got to be a positive effect of, A, he's been there and done it, and he's going to have a positive effect on the likes of Rashford and Greenwood, who are still young and learning their trade, and also on Martial, who looks so uninterested yeah. playing for Manchester United at the moment. Mm. A little bit of competition for place. Martial has always wanted to play that central striking role. So if Igalo comes in, takes that central striking role, and he gets pushed out to the left or the right or wherever he plays in that team, surely that's going to give him a little bit of impetus to maybe step up a gear and tr- and just put a little bit more yeah. graft. Yeah, because he knows he's guaranteed that sl- starting slot at the minute yeah, anyway, don't no you, Marsha? Because there's no one else who can step up. So yeah, even if it just provides a bit of competition, I think it could be. I think it's not a bad little bit of business for United personally. Yeah. Commercially, this is a brilliant deal for Manchester United as well <laughs> because there have been. Manchester United signing parties happening in Nigeria. He's a bit of a hero in Nigeria. Manchester United also have a decent support group in Nigeria. So commercially, mm. it's a pretty shrewd move 
getting him in. Not saying that Manchester United are ever swayed by <laughs> commercial, <laughs> commercial activity. The bit that Bosnich said that absolutely staggered me, completely sent me sideways, was of Cantona, no one really expected much from him. But I'm sure he came from Leeds with a reasonably decent reputation. And what albeit was it was a long time ago. Well. It was a decent, right? It was a good transfer fee at the time. And he ended up propelling them to their mo- one of their most successful seasons of all time. Fine, that's that's a fact. But is he genuinely saying that Igalo could be that good that he could propel Manchester United to one of their greatest seasons of all time? <laughs> like, I mean, I don't understand the comparison here. I mean, what's going on, Bosnich? Well, I mean, I mean, he does. Is he, is he trying to make out that, you know, Igalo in some ways kind of galvanise the squad? Because there was that feeling for Cantona that he was almost the, the last piece of the, of the puzzle, really, for United in, in that 92-93 season, where they had, you know, they'd had uh, <clears throat> a few of the players that had kind of been the old guard that, you know, Ferguson had kind of brought through. And then he had a, a mix of a couple of youngsters, like, you know, Giggs was emerging around that time. He'd had a couple of interesting, uh, you know, uh, foreign players and stuff. And it was like the last sort of, you know, piece of the puzzle. But I don't see a Gallo being that. I just see as someone who he can throw on for 20 minutes. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that Bosnich is entirely wrong. I think he's wrong to encounter to Cantona. But he is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just he could have just gone, I think it's a decent acquisition yeah. and leave it there. I mean, there are some similarities. He's a striker. Um, he's foreign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> Can't think of any more. That's about it. <laughs> I wonder if Mark Bosnich has had any more drugs tests recently. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Anyway, talking about former Barcelona strikers, I Johnson, the former Chelsea and Barca frontman, has had his say on the situation. He says that this signing of Odio Nogalo is proof Manchester United have lost their ability to attract the world's best players, Jim. Do you, do you buy into that thought school from Good Johnson? No, nah, this is a stopgap. This is nothing to do with Manchester United's transfer plan or policy. Whether you believe Manchester United have a plan at all is another debate entirely. But Indeed. assuming they do and their plan is to buy young Hungry players. I thought you meant Ashley Young then. Plan is to buy Young back Young again. Back. No, I think I think it's literally it's what they say. It is a stopgap. It's a temporary mm. player to bring in. And I mean, whether it would have said anything different if they bought in the likes of Cavani, probably. But I don't think they needed him at the same time. They didn't need to have that massive outlay. I mean, Agarlo's on rumoured to be three hundred grand a week in China. Yeah. So I don't know whether the loan wages are split fifty-fifty or what the deal is there between Manchester United and Shanghai Shenhua. That's all completely speculation. But you know, if you think that you've got someone on three hundred grand a week in Cavani, or albeit he's three years older, but he's done it in Europe's top five leagues at a higher level than Agarlo. I mean, is that more of a calculated risk to get someone like Cavani in for that six-month period or whatever it might be, rather than Igalo? It seems it's this season's gone though, right? So they're not going to challenge this season. Top well, four is their say, kind of aspiration. You say that, but I mean, everyone's beating everyone in that mid-table region of the Premier League. I mean, it's it's so wide open. Chelsea don't look comfortable right now. Sheffield United, as good as they've been, you just don't know what their situation's going to be like. Tottenham, I just, I just think unreliable. So it's there for the taking. It's still I still a think. transition period for United, and oh, it feels I, I like agree, a good player for that transition period because whatever he's costing the likes of Cavani would have cost double that yeah. they're not going to sign someone permanently in January transfer window we've talked a lot about how difficult it is to sign someone this is to get them to the summer to get players back fit and then to address the situation and like if you get Cavani in it's like Jim said before you know what, what does that have in terms of impact on the rest of the squad you know if Solskjaer decided that Martial's going to be his guy you know obviously when Rashford's back and then Greenwood how does Cavani coming in impact that and how mm. the way that you play interestingly as well the, the Agallo thing 
it seems to have fired up early 2000s Premiership players a lot, doesn't it? Matt Bosnich and Good Johnson. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, really, I've not heard from them, either of them for a while, but they're really fired up about this for some reason, aren't they? I do love Ida Good Johnson. What a legend. Absolute legend. Anyway, this is the first part of Football Social Daily done and dusted for today. Don't forget to stick around and make sure you hit subscribe as well so you never miss another show. But there'll be more, of course, after this break. Where we'll be talking about little old Burnley as well as everyone's favourite piece of football technology, VAR. Stick around. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is your only daily Premier League podcast, seven days a week, focusing on the best league in the world. News, opinion and gossip from all around the division. I'm Niall. Alongside me, we've got Adam Brown and we've got Jim Salveson. Hello, boys. Hello. Hello. Now, I want to talk about Burnley Football Club. Not only because the Clarets don't really get a look in that often on the show, being unfashionable, one of the small clubs and all of that. But also, I want to shout out to my uh, grandpa, who's a Burnley fan. He was 85 yesterday. He's currently down in hospital in Bournemouth, so get well soon, mate. Happy Um, birthday, Papa. (laughs) (laughs) Burnley drew nil-nil with Arsenal at the weekend. Mikel Arteta blamed the Turf Moor pitch afterwards he says it wasn't watered the grass was long made it difficult to play football but you know what you get with Burnley is that just naive management from Arteta Adam so many teams get sucked into that set piece game with them and inevitably they come unstuck yeah I mean it's quite hard to know how to set up against Burnley I think sometimes because what I mean if you like you say if you if you go all in and you, you attack them you think with someone like you know Arsenal with the players they've got you'd think well just, let's just go for it but you say you're so you're all susceptible to, to conceding from a set piece. Um, mm. And I watched the game at weekend. And, you know, the, the the classic thing of, you know, going to Burnley, it's a hard place to go. That seems to become a phrase that people always say. The record isn't that great, actually. At we we need to get the cliche bell back. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm having withdrawal but, symptoms. Yeah, but the, it's not, the record isn't that great, believe it or not, at Turf mm. Moor. It's actually, mm. I think people think the record there is better than it is. I think they're just, they're just tough to break down. They're just hard to... to I think... It, as a team, you don't really know how to set up. Obviously, Arsenal are in their kind of transition kind of phase at the moment as well. So, for me, I just think with Burnley, it's one of them fixtures whenever, even as a City fan, whenever I see it's coming up, I don't panic, but I think, you don't really know what you're going to get. How, how, how do you play? Do you just, just stand off them a little bit? I mean, they're, so, they're just lethal from, from set pieces. They've got players there that will just run and run and run and run all day. Mm. So, yeah, I'd... It's a difficult one with Burnley. You just don't know where you stand with them half the time. Well, it's a good point because Manchester City seem to have steamrolled Burnley a lot over the last couple of seasons. FA Cup, League, winning 4-0, 3-0 a couple of occasions I can remember. As for Arsenal, Mikel Arteta wants to implement what he would call the Arsenal style of play, you know, the old school, knock the ball around. Almost remember when everyone used to say Arsenal walked the ball into the net. I think he's trying to hark back to those days. But to then complain that the grass is too long, it's not been watered, Burnley aren't going to go, oh, we'll make it a snooker table for you boys and we'll get the sprinklers on. Sean Dyche knows exactly what he's doing and they do it really well what they do do. I mean, how long and dry are we talking about the grass here? Are we talking African savannah? (laughs) (laughs) Like knee high? Because if it's not, they just need to get over it. And it rains loads in Burnley as well. (laughs) The sign of a good manager is being able to adapt to any footballing situation and play any team in the way they set up, right? That's that's, that's what I mean. Is it naive from Arteta? Arteta should have known what he was getting into. And Wenger used to do this at Arsenal. I mean, you know, notoriously used to struggle against some Allardyce teams because, but Allardyce then knew exactly how to play against Wenger's yeah. team because Wenger would be like, oh, they're just kicking us. Well, well, you don't like that? No, well, we'll do it again next time. You know, Jose, you're not going to stop. I remember Jose Mourinho coming up against the Sam Allardyce team and saying a very similar thing, saying it was anti-football, yeah. that he needed a pneumatic drill to break down the defence. And that's, 
completely the right of these clubs to play in that style of that's the style that's going to get them points in the Premier League and if, that is the way Burnley are maintaining their Premier League status so, I mean if you know if, if Burnley's you know team got went toe to toe with Arsenal and and just played Flowing football, they're going to get beat five yeah. nil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, so what's the point? Yeah. You might you think, well, you play to your strengths and also expose their weaknesses. And if the weakness is that they don't like playing on rough pitches, then we're going to make the pitch yeah. as rough as we possibly can. You know, it's, it's part of the game. It's, it's it, all right. Maxwell might say it's not very sportsmanlike, but but it's part you, of the leveler, isn't it? Of course, it is. You know, Arsenal haven't won a game since New Year's Day. This Arteta revolution is it in full swing? Clearly not. If you look at the results. But certainly you're seeing the shoots of growth there of something that could be happening in the summer and maybe into next season. Arsenal in 10th, Burnley in the 11th, both on 31 points. Arsenal have drawn 13 games this season. That, by all standards, I mean, no matter who's the manager of Arsenal, it's not good enough. Mm. I mean, we're talking about Manchester United having a transition season. You're speaking about some of the other clubs that maybe had a tough season. I mean, Everton, we've spoken about them loads on this show about how poor they've been this year. They're above Arsenal, two points above Arsenal. So why are we not um, kind of, I don't want to say Arteta should be sacked already. It's not what I'm saying. Just saying, you know, it feels like Arsenal are not getting off lightly, but, you know, there should be more questions as to how they're in this sort of mess. I think because, as you say, the green shoots are there at the moment. As a team, they're playing better. They seem to be more committed to the cause. They've really missed Aubameyang in his ban, and that explains probably why they've not picked up many points since the turn of the new year, and he didn't look particularly at the races against Burnley. Either. Played in like a number 10 role behind Lacazette. Yeah, it was a bit strange. Very out of character for him. So, But I think because there are positives there and because Arsenal have come from such a bad place and such a toxic place, the, the signs of development are going to allow him to have a little bit of time. In a similar situation to Everton, and I think Everton are very much ticking over to the end of the season before Ancelotti can make his mark on that team. I think it's the same situation with Arteta. They'll tick along, they'll get to the summer, and then it will be a true test of both of those managers, what they can do beyond that. I worry about what plays they can keep in summer. I I genuinely do. I I mean, I think it's up to Arteta now to to sell them, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is the plan. I mean, obviously he's he's not going to reveal it. We we don't know what the plan is, but for me, there's going to have to be a really, really, really clear plan of this is the recruitment we're going to do. We want to, you know, if if they lose, I think, think about some of the, the, you know, looking at their squad, if they lose a few of those players, suddenly that squad becomes, for me, bang average, like a bang average mid-table probably Premier League squad. If they lose uh, Aubameyang, which again, he was linked, wasn't he, to Barcelona in the last transfer window, possibly. You can see pretty much any top European team wanting to pick him up because he's a very good player. You know, Lacazette potentially could be tempted back to France. I can see that happening. Uh, Bellerin might go. Ozil, again, is hit and miss. It seems to have been for the last three years, the question mark about Ozil, will he stay, will he go? I think he needs to just sort of rip the bandage off now with some of these and go, listen, Mm. either you buy into this or we don't need you here. I think there's a lot of yeah. players that have been on the fence for a long yeah. time with Arsenal where it's, they've just kind of just been ticking over, haven't they? And yeah. the, kind of, the common assumption is that Arteta will go into that Arsenal team in the same way that Pep Guardiola went into the City. So if he doesn't fancy a player, if he doesn't think a player is 100% there for the cause, he will get them out in the summer and he will build a team that he can play his style of football with. Mm. I mean, what would you do in terms of recruitment at Arsenal? Because it seems like it, I mean, it's such a massive club, huge resources, a massive stadium, mm. you know, big fan base. What What do you do, though? Because I feel like they've fallen so far behind now. Mm. Obviously, you know, people might say Man United have slipped back, but you look at Arsenal, they've slipped back even further than that, I think. But it's such a great opportunity for a manager to build something, but it's about convincing those players to come in when there's no Champions League football. You know, how do you sell it to, to, to someone? They've lost probably, you know... 
over the past couple of seasons that some of the best players they've had. And it's, if they can't keep hold of this current crop of their so-called, let's say, best players, on paper anyway, the Obama Yangs, Bellerin, Ozil, those kind of players, how do they attract players in of, of a certain level? Yeah, that's what yeah, I worry It's about. almost like you need good players to attract other good players to play yeah, with them. You yeah. know, that's the kind of way it works. Anyway, some big games coming up for Arsenal. They've got Newcastle United and Everton at the Emirates this month before their biggest game of the season next month as they travel down to Fratton Park to play Portsmouth in the <laughs> FA Cup. <laughs> All the big games. All the big games matter on this podcast. Right then, shall we talk about VAR? I suppose so. Go on, if we have to. Uh, The results of a YouGov poll have emerged today and it's been revealed that 67% of Premier League fans feel that VAR is making the game less enjoyable and VAR is coming for a score of around 4 out of 10. Wow, I mean... If the people hadn't spoken already on Twitter, in the pubs, in the offices, like I said at the start of the show, this YouGov poll certainly proves that VAR is not working in the way that fans want it to work and it's making the game less enjoyable for 67% of Premier League fans polled. I think um, you know, VAR has been one of them things that people were kind of... I think people wanted some kind of, uh, you know, visual aid in terms of, you know, making things fair and getting decisions right. Obviously, we had goal line, goal line technology, which was, everyone was like, right, we agree that that needs to be done. And that happened. And I think people still, when it comes to decisions, offsides, fouls, everything like that, we were like, oh, you know, that was definitely, you know, everyone's had that argument. That was onside. Was like, Double check that. That wasn't offside. But then I think we wanted it. But we didn't want it yeah. to this level. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like we wanted something, but when we, now we've got it, it's like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like that. <laughs> I didn't particularly want it when it first, when, I, it was, when it was all muted that we should get VAR involved in video assistance. So I was kind of like a little bit anti. I could see the benefit of it, but at the same part, time, I kind of like the wrong decisions. It was part of the game. I agree. It was yeah. one man who I'm made those decisions. And I, one of the things I love about football more than anything other, anything else is that you can replicate the game almost identically if you're down a park and you've got some jumpers and you've got a football, you can play the game in the same way as it's played in front of 75,000 people in the middle of Old Trafford. And VAR is another step away from that. And I was kind of anti that. Now it's here. It's not going anywhere. And it's no surprise that a YouGov poll has found no one likes it because A, it's been a bit of a shambles and B, the media narrative is that VAR is rubbish. We are told every day that VAR is rubbish. But it was that media narrative that kind of urged VAR to be brought in in the first place. But I think it's getting better. I think there have been improvements this season and I think it will improve again next season. It's not going anywhere. We have to have VAR. It's used across Europe. It will be used in major international tournaments. So the players need to get used to the system. Okay, how about this? The Premier League has conducted its own research into VAR after 250 Premier League games this season and will present its findings to clubs at a routine meeting in London on Thursday. What do you think the clubs will say? Personally, we can sit here as fans and say, I don't like it. I think it's okay. It could be better. It's improved. We can say all of these things, but we're not the people that matter. Actually, it's these Premier League clubs in this meeting on Thursday that will really determine what the future is for VAR. What do you think the Premier League clubs will say? I think Liverpool will be happy. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're good. I know I admit it. Um, Sheffield United have benefited more than any other team, haven't they? Yeah. They've had eight positive... Uh, positive influences from VAR this season, I think. I think, do you know what, for me, it's. I, I think that it probably will be a bit of a, a, you know, some parts of it, you know, good, but could get better. I think for me, a part of it is the speed. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, what, what, what winds me up the most about it is the, the stop-down moments of, sure. you know, and I feel like now I can't celebrate a goal. And that really winds me up as well. I've lost the spontaneity of a goal going in and suddenly... Because there's always that niggling little thing in the back of your head going, oh, is it going to count now? Mm. Because the amount of times I've seen goals when I've been watching games and I've not even seen what Mm. could Mm. even be wrong with it. 
you know. I, I see what you mean. Imagine if it was a boxing match, and you you know you're a boxer or you're a family member of a boxer sat ringside watching, and someone lands a beautiful straight right jab, downs the opponent, and, he, and the referee goes, "Oh, hang on a sec, just need to check uh, what's going on here, whether he's uh, thrown a legal punch or not." You're thinking. You know, that moment, that that pure adrenaline of, you know, you stood mm, on the ropes yeah. with your arms aloft, you've won the boxing match. That, that's it's it very similar me. in the crowd. I've, I've not found that yet. I've not found that I've stopped celebrating goals as a response to it, but West Ham scores so few It's a lack of a scenario. But we did sit this weekend with uh, Glenn Murray scoring the last minute equaliser for Brighton against West Ham, mm. which was deemed that, well, the referee blew it as a handball, actually, didn't it? And then it went to VAR. Glenn Murray wheeled off in celebration. None of his teammates did. Everyone just kind of stood there. I think it affects Even the Even Pascal Gross went to the ref and said handball, didn't he? I think, yeah, it seems to be saying something like that. I think it affects the players more than it affects the fans at the moment. What bugs me about the whole thing is that the laws just don't work. They don't work for offside. They don't work for handball. The laws need changing to adapt to the game. This is where I don't like this. Yes, it the, is. the VAR should be there to implement the rules. Yeah. The rules should not change to benefit VAR. But the I think rules, that's the, the completely the rules wrong have, way to go around it. the rules have changed already because the rules changed at the beginning of the season to benefit. The handball rule changed at the beginning of the season because of VAR as a direct response and they've got it wrong. So they've got it wrong, the idea, and I forget the exact rules and I've not got them written in front of me, but the idea that if you are defending and the ball hits your arm off a part of your body, it's not a free kick. But if, you gain but if you're attacking, advantage, yeah. then it is a free kick. That's a ridiculous rule. The idea that, and we've seen it several times this season, that a ball has cannoned off an attacker and it's come off their arm. So they haven't controlled it with their arm. It's just hit their arm and that's been given as a free kick as handball is a stupid rule. It's handballs and offsides that the, pro- that the problem yeah. is. But let's crunch some of these numbers. Out of the, the people polled, 67% say VAR has made watching football less enjoyable, as we said. 60% say VAR has worked badly. 8% want to keep VAR as it is now and don't want to change it at all. It was also said that 71% of people polled support a time limit on VAR decisions. Now, you said that you don't like how long it takes, Adam. I mean, would you support a time limit on, on VAR decisions? Um, do you know, in a dream world, you'd want it like FIFA. So, you know you know what I mean? Bang, <laughs> offside. Do you know what I mean? It, it's some sort of thing. It, it can instantly pick up. I know it's, it, you're never going to get that, but... Yeah, I think maybe it's just got to speed up for me. It's got to be quick. It's got to be faster. We've spoken about this on podcasts before about there being a time limit on VAR, like, you know, a big countdown clock. In the yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what, why does this work in other countries? Why have. Does it though? Does well, anyone know? Does anyone. Can anyone out there listening to the podcast get in touch with us on social media at Sports Social on Instagram, at The Sports Social on Twitter? If you watch the Italian Serie A or La Liga or any league that uses VAR or a top European league like the Premier League and you know categorically whether it does or doesn't work and how they use it differently to the Premier League send us a message yeah. because it would be really interesting to but find out. But it doesn't seem that there are the same issues and part of that seems to be the implementation of the pitch side monitors which have been used sparingly over here but have helped yeah. when 80% they have been of people used. polled say that they would support the use of pitch side monitors. Yeah, why don't they do that? I mean is, that, is it I mean, why don't they do that as much over here? What's the what's the reasoning behind that? Like, you know, I, I, if it's available, surely it's going to be quicker. Yeah. And it also gives that man in the middle, gives the referee his authority back, because that's what we've seen quite a lot, is the referee kind of deferring to a second opinion and losing their authority. But if you give them the final call, mm. surely that streamlines the whole process anyway. Yeah, I mean, cut, like you say, cut into an office of people with all screens in front of them and all mm. that. It doesn't mean I didn't. 
Yeah. I just can't be bothered with it. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I mean, look, when when you're on the, when the, you know, the decision goes your way, it's great. But at the same time, I mean, I, I get why they're doing it because there's so much at stake now, and one wrong decision can, you know, you could lose a, you know, your place in the Premier League. Or, I get all that. There's so much money at stake and stuff, but. It's got to be quicker. If we're doing it, it's got to speed up. I don't know about time limits because then it's like that puts the pressure on the referee, yeah. then, doesn't it? And it's like, it's not really, if you've got to get to this, you won't get it right. And it's not, oh, you're too slow, mate. Rush so, the decision, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know how they, how they, how they'd increase it, whether the technology's got to get better. Could be something to do with that. Are they going to implement, is it something about maybe putting more cameras around? And I don't know, there's got to be some way to implement it a little bit quicker for me. I've spoken to, uh, there was a League Two footballer I spoke to who said he would support the audio between the VAR and the referee being able to be heard by everyone, basically. Yeah. He'd support that conversation being broadcast so people can hear it. But that doesn't help people in the ground. It doesn't help people in the ground. And I would also caveat that by saying I find the majority of people that supported VAR don't actually go to games week in, week out. They're not mm. season ticket holders. Mm. They're more people that watch it recreationally on the telly. And I'm not saying one type of support is better than the other. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying that it seems to me that the people that do consume their football via a television screen seem to be more in favour of VAR. That's from what I found anyway. But this this footballer that I spoke to said he would support the broadcasting of, of the conversation between referees and VAR. Currently, the rules say that that's not allowed. Direct audio communication to be broadcast is not allowed. But the IFAB, who, of course, make the rules of the game, they have their AGM on Leap Day, the 29th of February. So could we see that being a possibility to improve VAR? If people can hear the conversations like you can in rugby, where you know what the referee's saying, for instance, in the Six Nations, you'll hear... Over the next couple of weeks, Nigel Owens will go, mm. right, this is the situation. He'll be speaking to the TMO, the video referee, and they'll make a decision together, I collaboratively. It, it, adds, it adds accountability. I don't think it improves the system in any way. And as you say, that would be largely for a TV audience. I mean, th the real problems are, and I don't want to go over old ground that we've gone over thousands of times before, is that the, the, uh, currently, as we stand, the addition of VAR hasn't really added anything to most scenarios because it's not providing a clear black and white decision. They're not 100% getting everything right every time because decisions are being made on incidents that aren't black and white. And we're seeing penalties being given, we're seeing handballs being given that then get talked about in TV studios around the country where you've got three panellists, two think one thing and one thing the other, which doesn't work because you need every single person believing the same thing and thinking the outcome has been got right mm. for VAR to be a success and we're miles off that at the moment. I agree. The thing as well is that with VAR and there's multiple people involved and all, and it seems like a, a, such a big kind of operation around, you know, each time there's multiple cameras and angles and I think when there is something that they get wrong or, you know, it seems worse than a referee making the wrong decision. Do you know what I mean? Because it used to be like, well, he's a human being, so, he, you know, people make mistakes, maybe he didn't see it and people could almost forgive refs, not when it goes against your team, but, yeah. do, you know, but do you know what I mean? I think people going so crazy about referees getting things wrong ushered in VAR a lot quicker probably right. than, it, than, than it probably needed to be. But when it was a referee, you think to yourself, like Jim said earlier, it kind of evens itself out over the season, doesn't it, really? Because yeah. sometimes, you know, think about your team. You'll have got a penalty you didn't deserve at some point during yeah. the season. You've also sort of conceded a penalty you didn't deserve. So it kind of, you it do feel like... It was part of the it, narrative. It yeah, was part of the game. The spontaneity of it, and, and that's the excitement. There's nothing better than getting a penalty you didn't deserve and sticking it away. You <laughs> oh, know what yeah. I mean? It's hundred percent. And, 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 you know, there are football fans up and down the country that still talk about an offside that wasn't an offside back in 1977. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the kind of way that, that football goes, and it does make football a talking point. I think VAR has created 
more talking points, actually, if anything, about mm. decisions. But 67% of people feel that VAR is making the game less enjoyable. There's no 52-48 split here. That is clear. <laughs> that is clear and obvious, like the directive says. Anyway, this has been Football Social Daily, your Premier League update for Tuesday. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you very much, Jim. Cheers. I've been Niall. Make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast. You won't miss another show again, whether that be at the weekends as well, when we've got our Premier League review and preview shows too. And also follow us on social media at the Sports Social is the place to go on Twitter. But that's all for now, and we'll catch up with you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.